Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from fans just like you. And today, we are very excited to welcome onto the show Peter Orulian. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, so many of you know uh, Peter is an author. He wears many hats. He's a musician, and he's also worked for many years at Microsoft on the Xbox team and in different areas as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, since I've joined Microsoft, it's been all Xbox, but um, nature of Microsoft is to move around a lot of different teams, so I've done a lot of different things in Xbox. And so what are you working on there now, if you can tell us anything? Yeah, so right now I'm working on, uh, we've made some announcements around taking a, um, a stronger stance for PC gaming, and so uh, I'm, I'm responsible for a lot of the Xbox Live integration and services that will be part of Windows 10. That's fantastic. We are both PC gamers, so that, that works well for us. Yeah, and specifically, it's the marketing piece of that. So, gotcha. But we did we did not bring you here on the show to talk about Xbox this time, at least. Uh, we're here to talk about your books. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, as uh, Veronica said, uh, many hats, many interests, uh, many great projects and creations out there. But currently, I know uh, top of the list is the Vault of Heaven series. Uh, for those folks who don't know about it, tell us a little bit about it and uh, what they could find if they're interested in exploring it. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's got this sort of already this storied past. Uh, the first book is entitled The Unremembered. It released in 2011. Um, and I've written about this a little bit, but to the, the give you the cliff notes, um, uh, not always is it the case that author and editor pairings are matches made in heaven, and that's no one's fault. It just happens. People are not always good companions, um, and that happened to me, and so um, the, the, the coupling of that with the job we were just talking about, which is pretty demanding and, and requires a lot of time, um, put a lot of distance between books one and, and two. And um, the other thing that happened is, is that the, the manuscript that um, was delivered to, to Tor originally was a manuscript I wrote in two, the year 2000. And my agent had sold it. I'd actually been trying to sell some thriller books that I'd written. So um, I wasn't able, you know, just because of this pairing issue, I wasn't able to really deliver in that initial volume the vision I had intended for uh, that story. And so when I landed with my new editor, we got on the same page, which was really great, and shared the same vision, which resulted in what's called an author's definitive edition of The Unremembered, which was re released last month, and then Trial of Intentions, which is book two, released yesterday. And my whole idea with the series was to ground uh, readers in what's familiar about fantasy. Um, as, with this, I, There's this notion called gateway fiction, which is something that you know people who've seen Lord of the Rings they, they, there's things they understand they're familiar with, and I wanted to kind of pull them in with those familiar things and then take them to what's new about my series. And that's really where Trial of Intentions goes on steroids, so to speak. Um, so much of, I think, what's unique about what I'm doing is in this volume that just released. 
So uh, what is the volume that was just released? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's the one that's uh, entitled Trial of Intentions. Um, and just a few things there that I, um, you know, I think are interesting and that I'm proud of. Um, as a musician, I've spent a lot of time in the development of uh, my magic system. And um, I built it. Uh, I built it originally off of a mechanical principle um, of resonance, which is an acoustic principle. Um, you guys are probably aware, you know, vibration, all things sort of have a, a, a signature. Um, it's why bridges will fall down um, and buildings can be, you know, sort of um, reduced to rubble if the, the right signature sort of gets inside, um, the, the vibration gets inside. And, is that when, and, when like an op the, the, the cliche of an opera singer hitting a note and the glass breaking, is it the same principle as that? Same principle. Um, that's right. And so what I did was I, I took that and then I sort of, I, I built on top of it um, and developed this, this idea I call resonance that underlies um, so far five magic systems in the world. Um, but because it's a, it's a, I call it a governing dynamic, meaning it's, it's ubiquitous in the world and different cultures tap it in different ways. And so the magic systems seem unique, like, you know, the cultures grow them up in unique ways, but the reader gets to kind of see, oh, they're really all related because they're building on resonance. Um, and the other piece I'll add there that was fun in the world building is that um, I had this notion that um, the magic could work by transference of that energy through a medium. And I posit something akin to aether, and I call it uh, aramol. And it just means that something over there, uh, uh, using this magic through resonance, I can attack it, but the energy travels. Uh, I also wanted to have simultaneous sort of destruction and um, at a distance, and I needed that mechanic for my world. And so um, I built off of the idea of quantum entanglement, which is the simultaneous sort of stirring of two things at a distance. And so resonance, uh, I, I way I develop it is it, it, it has uh, implementations that account for both of those. I love the way you've taken uh, w one of your your expertises, one of your areas of interest in, in music, and sort of taken the the sound engineering aspect, and then use that to underlie fantasy. I, th I think that's fantastic. I know Veronica is uh, had, is somebody who studied sound engineering, uh, and and so it's got to be particularly appealing to folks like her. Yeah, I, I wish so. Nicole hadn't dropped me out in the middle of that explanation because I probably would have been very interested to, uh, <laughs> to hear. I'll have to listen back to the podcast once it goes live uh, to catch up on that. But that is that is fascinating. I think there's something already very magical about the way that sound works. So for me, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, I should I should say that while I, I was very thoughtful and rigorous in the development of it, the, the way I treat music in the world, it, there is the magic system. But there's also the, the magic that we experience in our world of, of music being able to comfort and to stir and, and all of those things that we love and are passionate about music are as important to the series as the magic. Well, we have tons of questions, including, I think, more about the musical and magical aspects of your novels later in the show. Um, but the first of our listener questions comes from James, and he wants to know, what advice do you have for aspiring novelists who are just starting out? Because I know you you were a starting out novelist at one point in your life, every author we talked to, and everyone seems to have different answers for this kind of thing. Yeah, um, so there's a, an old saw that goes something like, if a, if a writer can be discouraged, they should be. And I, I hate it. Um, and some of the, uh, old, I'll call them old timers, because I think it's archaic thinking. Uh, and the, 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 what they're getting at is a writer, a real writer, whatever the hell that means, can't be discouraged. 
Um, and there, I, I get the truth inside that, which is writers that are, you know, want to do it, they persist regardless. And that's, that's a truism, like that's true. But um, why I don't like it is because there's also something kind of fragile and um, about being a writer, you know, uh, and uh, any creator really. And so I tend to want to encourage, and the things I say to, to um, any writer, because the other thing that you find with, with um, writing careers, almost every career, even with really successful writers, crash, and it's like this big sine wave. And so uh, what I say is you just have to persist. Um, you don't wait for the muse. You've heard that before. Um, my, because I have this day job, I get up at 3.30 in the morning. I come into my writing office. I, I, I pound a five-hour energy drink, and then, um, which I buy by the gross at Costco, by the way. It's awesome. You can get like, <laughs> I don't know, it's like 40 of them, but 38 bucks. Anyway, and then, and then I check mail, and I kind of wake up a little bit, and then I write for about three hours. And um, the days that seem like, wow, it's just flowing, and, you know, it's so awesome, uh, versus the days where it feels like it's complete garbage. When I go back later and I'm looking at it with revision or whatever, I can't tell which day is which. And so I think there's just, um, if you keep, uh, one of my favorite quotes here is from Jack White, who is a Canadian bestseller, bestselling author. I, I won't do uh, justice to his Scottish brogue, but I'm going to try it. He says, you have to put your ass in the chair. Uh, and and I, just, I just think that's it. I think if you continue to sit down and work at it, if don't, I don't care about... Um, word count. I don't care about page count. Um, I don't even care if you spend some of that time doing research, but if you commit to the time and you're rigorous there, I believe that you will have success. Now, speaking of your day job, uh, Damon says that you've mentioned that work often creeps into your writing time. What strategies do you use when work gets crazy to either protect some of that time, uh, and Damon says, or if he has to push pause, how does he get back into his world after a long interruption? Yeah, I mean, the truth is that um, with my with my job, there have been multiple stretches of months where um, the work is just so heavy that when I get up at that oh dark thirty hour, I just have to go to work. Um, I, I'm trying desperately to to find another team where that it might not be um, as necessary. Um, uh, you know, and Microsoft encourages that. They encourages people to, to find new roles and, and take new challenges. Um, but the truth is, is sometimes it, it literally does. And that accounts for some of the delta between books one and two. Um, having said that, um, you know, the, the, I think the strategy is the thing I said before, which is um, I'm, I'm religious about that hour. I get up at that hour uh, on weekends, on vacations. You know, Christmas morning, I'm still up writing before the rest of the stuff. Um, I don't take a day off. And so um, I, I think you have to have that kind of a schedule. Uh, well, I, mean, I should say that, I shouldn't say that. A anybody's process is legitimate for them. But I, um, I do believe in, uh, in that in showing you know, every day, I think that the habit of it is, is what's critical. I think yeah. your advice is not really that different in, in substance uh, to the advice of the old timers, they're just being more gruff about it. They're saying, look, if you don't want to commit to the persistence, don't, you know, it, that's what you need to take. And you're, you're being more positive and friendly about it saying, Hey, you, you can persist. And if you do, then, then that will make a difference. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know, one of the things I, I, the tricks maybe that I, when I'm teaching writers or talking to writers is I'll say, look, do the simple math. 
most writers can do about a thousand words an hour. Um, I know some that can do 2,500. I do some that can do a couple hundred. Um, even though I don't care about word counts, this is it's a, it's a sort of way for people to get their head around how they can have success. Um, but if you did just an hour a day, on average, you do a, a thousand words a day, in three months you'll have written a novel. And, and when people kind of do that simple math, it's kind of um, a wake-up call because um, you don't have to slave in a garret for four years to write a book. Um, now, having said that, I get the sensitivities out there around um, there are some writers who, whose process seems to require a longer amount of time. And that's legitimate, you know, uh, and we love their books and we wait for their books. Um, but for writers that are working at it, you know, uh, you can have success. Finishing an all, here's the math. Uh, I don't know if this is true or anecdotal, but it's inspiring nonetheless. Um, it says, of everybody you've, I mean, how many times have you met someone at a party and, oh, I'm going to write a book someday? One percent of those folks ever really sit down and commit anything to paper. Um, one percent of those who ever commit to paper finish the thing they start. And then a one percent of those ever submit the thing they finish. And a very small percentage of those who submit get published. So it seems like the odds are against you. But for the person who, who has that diligence, what it means is you're way ahead of the pack if you're just persistent, right? And then the other thing that happens through practice, just like playing an instrument or uh, being an athlete, is you get better with practice. You really do. You know, I think that's why NaNoWriMo has been so valuable to a lot of people, just because it kind of teaches you that if you just sit down and write, what is it, like 1,500 words a day? I think it's even less. I think 1667 it's 1667 or something. 1667, yeah. Yeah, something like and that. And at the end of the month, you have a 50,000-word novella or novel, however you picture it. And, you yep. know, Tom and I have both done that, and it's it's really kind of eye-opening to be like, okay, yeah, it might not be good, but I have done the deed. Like, it is there. It's on paper. It is a finished, complete story, and now I have the confidence to kind of go out and maybe try again or, or do it next year or come up with that great idea that I don't feel the pressure of NaNoWriMo that I'm truly passionate about and, and get a novel out there. So I think the having the, the courage to really take that first step and start sitting down and writing for an hour or two every day is, is a really great way to get the ball rolling. Yep. The other thing I would add to that is in the early stages when you're just that first draft, you really should just consider it play. It really should just be fun. Don't uh, don't revise as you do it. Just go and have fun. Uh, sky's the limit. Let let it all hang out. Knowing you'll come back and you'll do some of the, the for me anyway, the less fun editorial work. Um, uh, but if you just kind of sort of liberate yourself that first time, and uh, I think it's very freeing. All right, well, our next question comes from David H. He wants to know, uh, I've been waiting to read the author's definitive edition of The Unremembered, but I did want to ask about the music magic that's been mentioned in reviews and interviews, like this one, for example. Is this a new style of music invented for the book, or are you using Earth-based music to create the music? The first thing I thought of when I read about it was what kind of effect something like Tuvan throat singing would have in your world. Yeah, he's uh, he's referencing uh, an interesting vocal technique that's akin to bagpipes, mm -hmm. where um, there's a drone and then there's a, a a tone. You can weave a melody, usually a simple melody, um, not not lots of range on it, atop the drone. Um, in fact, there's a character, there's a culture in my world that that does this kind of singing, multiple tone singing. Um, in fact, the I haven't I haven't gotten there. It'll be in book three, but that same culture that is visited in that novel. Um, 
their speech is a three-layer speech, um, and I won't I won't give you the spoiler there, but um, it's a uh, it's a lot more than simple simply the vocal tone. And um, uh, so the answer is uh, not precisely that, uh, but as I was mentioning before, I did build off um, some of the, the mechanical law of our own world as I was conceptualizing the magic system, um, and then used some theory, some um, quantum theory, to evolve resonance beyond just a mechanical principle. I mean, of course, because it's it's a magic system, the, the deal with magic systems is you can work really hard as a writer to do the logic and, and each next plausible step, but at some point there's a gap, right? At some point there's like, okay, it doesn't really work, um, unfortunately, and so uh, there's a, there's a that, that faith reader has that suspension of disbelief in order to say, okay, well, this person can actually do the thing. But what we do, and San, like Brandon Sanderson does this really well, is you develop enough of the, the mechanics and the rules that you it, it lends a lot of plausibility, and that's what I was doing. Now, we get this question a lot uh, because authors have a lot of different ways that they come up with the ideas for names of things, and Paul wants to know where you get the inspiration for your place names and character names. Uh, um, this comes for me in different stripes. Um, uh, I will be honest. There are times when uh, inspiration uh, for these other types that I'll mention in a moment is is lacking, and I will stare at the keyboard and try and find interesting configurations of vowels and consonants. <laughs> um, um, sometimes they'll stick. Sometimes I change them later. Um, another another thing I do. Uh, and, you know, if I ever have a rabid fan base, they might go and find these uh, for fun. But some of the place names are, um, I do word jumbles, and I'll do, um, you know, anagrams and things like that of things that are meaningful to me, and I'll share one with you tonight. There's, there's uh, in, in my world, there's a land, a, a sort of a, a kingdom um, that is uh, named Elik Divad. Um, that's backwards for David Kyle. David Kyle is the vocal instructor that I moved to Seattle to do uh, classical voice training with. Um, and that land is filled with conservatories and you know, music conservatories, and you know they're they're known for this. Um, there's a t one of my favorite favorite writers. Um, maybe I'll just throw this out, and someone can email me if they figure. It. In fact, I'll do this. Anybody who figures it out, if they email it to me first, one I'll I'll ship them a book. Um, but in in my world. There's also an anagram of one of the lands for my very favorite writer on the planet. And I'm, I'm quoted as online as who this person is. So, um, But I do that kind of for fun. And it's a little bit of an homage to people that you know have been inspirations to me. Uh, I did a bunch of epigraphs for Trial of Intentions uh, at the start of each chapter. And I attribute one of the sayings there to a, pre a professor of semiotics uh, and philosophy um, and it's an anagram for Patrick Rothfuss. I love the way he writes. So, you know, that's another stripe of things. And then there is the sort of more, more diligent, um, what is the back history of this particular um, family um, uh, and their sort of genealogy and uh, this, in this region? Do they use hyphens? Do they use apostrophe? Do they not do those things? So there's these three stripes. Um, and I, at the end, I rationalize them all. No, I, like I said before, I just have fun at the beginning, and then I go back and I fix all the stuff that seems silly. Wait, so did you give us the name that we're supposed to figure out the anagram? Oh, I, I didn't. Good catch. It's Maison Dim. Maison Dim. Maison okay. Dim. 
All right, so how about people, the listeners can email us at feedback at swordandlaser.com. We'll forward them on to you, and then you can pick whoever gets in first. You'll send them a book? Whoever gets in first, I'll send them a book. All right. And Veronica, you can't participate. I know, I know. I get enough books. It'll be fine. I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy it when I'm ready to read it. All right. So our next uh, message, our next uh, question, rather, our next message. Now you got me thinking about secret messages. and. It's a message. It's a message of a sort. It's a message. It came on Carrier Pigeon. Um, Gary wants to know, do you ever suffer from writer's block? And if so, how do you deal with it? No, I don't. Um, and I actually think just, what's that? There's this idea of semantic contagion. Have you heard this? Wherein the um, the use of a, of a term or a phrase or an idea um, perpetuates and catalyzes the, the idea itself. Um, and I can't remember the name of the, uh, there's a condition where people uh, amputate their own health limbs. Uh, and some believe that, that semantic contagion is an example of this with that particular disease. So with that as a lovely preamble, I will say that I, I don't believe in writer's block. I think that we should stop talking about it. Um, I, I, I really think that writers, you know, if you get into this discipline, like I have described of sitting down, um, and, you know, if, 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 if you're not ready to type at the, at the very moment, do a writing exercise, you know, describe something out the window. There's so many writing prompts. And once you leave, the, there's something interesting about the, the physical act of putting your fingers on the keyboard. Um, that I think I think you can, if you really feel like you're blocked. I think you just there's a lot of tricks, um, but but honestly, the, once you really start writing, the, you have the inverse problem, which is you have too many ideas. Um, you know, I I I'm, I adore the Vault of Heaven series, but I'm also eager for it to be done because there's other books I want to write. You know, but I'm committed to finishing the series first because I don't want to readers waiting. So. Yeah, so stop talking about writer's block out there. Just sit down and write. Write, and, and would you say just write anything? Even if you can't think of anything else to write, just, just put words out until you start making sense? Hell yes. Yeah, I mean, if if, if you feel like you've got a, a scene or chapter that you, you need to get done and you can't find an entry point, you know, um, um, you could write anything. But but here's... here's uh, Here's some tricks. So let's imagine that you are writing a scene. You've identified the, the, the general, you know, scene uh, uh, mechanics or even the point of view character, and you're having trouble getting into it. Simple things like changing the point of view character, um, dis deciding that instead of um, describing the action, you're going to describe the setting. There's a lot of ways for you to start just sort of nibbling at that at that scene, just to start getting in the flow. Um, if, if all of that fails, then yes, you know, um, write something else. Do, there's, I could Google right now and probably come up with a thousand writing prompts just to get you in the act of putting something on, you know, down. And sometimes the, the um, shifting your focus away from something that, that you may have psyched yourself up about, like, um, you know, maybe it's a really important scene, so you want to get it right. Uh, you know, and so you, you're, you're putting pressure on yourself. Easy way to diffuse that is just to, to kind of, do something that's that either uh, well. Here's the other thing: writers really need to be convicted around the idea that they can go back and do it again. Um, and that you know what? There's a Heinlein that said the first million words don't count. So mm -hmm. it's all practice. You know, throw it away and you'll do it again. It's, it's the it's the best um, uh, you know inoculation to writer's block or this idea is this idea that I can throw it away. And in the digital age, that's super easy to do and recreate. 
Now, Michael has a very ambitious question. He he writes, uh, what are your all-time favorite books, albums, and movies? Uh, don't feel like you have to give a comprehensive list there, but uh, what, what, are, what are some of your favorites? Uh, on the book side, um, certainly Summer of Night by Dan Simmons. Um, beautiful book. And that's, that, that hits what I call my reader cookies because I love protagonists that are about 10, 11, maybe 12, before they've um, kind of grown up and stopped believing in the magic. Uh, but they're old enough to, to really do stuff and take action. Uh, and Summer of Night's a beautiful example of that. And, I, and so, you know, that's one. Um, Night Shift uh, by Stephen King, which is a collection of short fiction. Uh, I think I've said this before, but um, while I always had the instinct or the, the desire to, to write, you know, most of my life, it wasn't until I read some of that uh, book, The Last Run on the Ladder, um, uh, The Lawnmower Man, that really catalyzed my you know, and I started writing after that. So those two books always stick out for me. Um, Sword of Shannara was the first um, um, fantasy thing I read, so that holds a dear place in my heart. Uh, in the movies, um, Albert Finney's musical rendition of Scrooge is my all-time favorite film. Uh, we Albert had that Finney, on. We had the eight track for that that we listened to every Christmas when I was growing up. <laughs> Isn't it awesome? Yeah, I've got it in all forms. I have. I. Just because I have about four of the DVDs, um, I, I, I love. Well, I love the story anyway, uh, and then I love the music that they put there. And I think Albert Finney for me defines that character. Um, so that there's that. Um, after that, and, and I, I'm just a Christmas freak. I, I really love the whole the trappings of the season. Um, but I, beyond that, my very favorite film is Shawshank Redemption, um, and that's a Stephen King novella. It's part of different seasons. If people haven't read that work, um, it's interesting because it's not horror. Um, even even Stephen King's horror, which is not uh, typically really graphic, um, but even for him, these particular novellas are almost mainstream. Um, I'm, I mean, there's some darkness in them, of course, but uh, so I, I love Shawshank Redemption. And on albums, um, Images and Words by Main Theater, and the reason for that is... Um, when I heard that album, I was already, I'd already taken some vocal training and I was singing in a band, but I had this simultaneously very bittersweet experience of, um, oh, so it's, he's so awesome as a vocalist, I should just quit, give up, right? I just thought it was unattainable, but also in, simultaneously inspired the hell out of me. And it's part of the reason I, I moved to Seattle to train with David Kyle. Um, plus, it's just a fantastic, fantastic album. Um, all of these are Juilliard grads and Berkeley School of Music grads, and so the music is not just um, emotional, but it's composed and considered, and the lyrics are fantastic. Um, and then, because I also like storytelling um, and concept albums, um, Imaginarium by uh, Night, uh, Nightwish and uh, Operation Mindcrime by Queen Drake. Mm, so those, those are metal albums, right? Mostly, and I, I, because of the long hair, I usually get pegged for a metalhead, um, and I wear my metal colors proudly, um, but I'm, I'm also quick to tell folks, like, I listen daily to jazz. I listen to the standard, a huge fan of Sinatra and Mel Torme and all those cats. Um, I listen to classical music. I, I think the only genre that I don't actively really listen to is EDM, and it's probably because I suck as a dancer. 
are you really supposed to dance to EDM, or are you just supposed to like thrash around a lot? It's kind. Of, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like I hear like uh, what are they? What's it called? Dub. I go, wow. I'm like aging myself into old lady land. I'm like, what? What do the kids call it these days? The dubstep and the womp womps. You talking about Zed and those kind? Those kinds? I want you to know it's our time. I don't. Uh, anyway, um, no, I think that's it. You know, my answer used to always be I listen to everything but country. And then I found all this amazing alt country and different kinds of country that I really did like. And, you know, people people take inspiration from all different kinds of music. Uh, it's, it's always really fascinating because it, it gives you a lot of different ways to enjoy it. And, you know, different. The sounds are completely different. I said different like 50 different times in, in that one sentence. But you said it differently every time. A little differently, a little bit differently. Um, you make an interesting point about country, though. Like if you listen to today's country, a lot of it, um, and then you go back and listen to early rock and roll from the 50s, there's not a lot of difference. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. And, and it has evolved as a genre in many different ways. A lot of country now is more like pop music um, and right. vice versa. So it's, it's yeah, it, it evolves over time. Um, our next question comes from Kamel. Uh, it was written in all caps, so I think I should probably scream it. If you had a, to change a destiny of only one of your characters, which one will you choose? Oh, change a destiny of a character in my, in my book? I believe so. Um, ooh, wow, that's a, that's a hard question. He's also shouting it at you, so you have to answer quickly, I think. <laughs> Choose a destiny uh, now! I, I just shout back at you. <laughs> um, that's, it's hard. That's really hard. Um, uh, especially because, like, any answer I give, I'm going to want to explain, and that's probably riddled with spoilers to, yeah, do, right. to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, um, probably... Either Brayden or Wendra. Um, the, the thing, uh, the thing about my world is uh, there's a lot of tragedy. Um, in fact, the, 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 my editor at one point uh, really commented on the fact that I, I put them through the paces. Um, and I was on a panel just recently at at uh, Comic Con, Emerald City Comic Con, with Robin Hobb. Uh, she said, "Man, your characters are really flawed." Which is high praise for any writer, especially coming from Robin Hobb. And and uh, so the the point I'm making is those characters that they're, they're really tragic and really flawed, and and some of them are going to come to um, some super bad ends. So um, um, I'm going to do it anyway, but um, uh, it's going to be sad. <laughs> uh, then James read your article or read the article you did for tour on metal music for fantasy authors and thought it was completely on point. I was really enjoy. I really enjoyed reading about how much you and Robert Hobb like Nightwish. Uh, and then asks what helped bring about your idea for the vault of heaven books. And did you have any problem developing it? Um, what brought about the idea for vault of heaven? Uh, you know, I, I always knew I was going to write an epic fantasy. Um, I fell in love with the genre when I read Terry work. Um, and then I went on later and read other um, other writers who do it so well. Um, well, I had these ideas. I had this idea of I wanted to build this this unifying principle because I thought it'd be really interesting to execute ma- multiple magic systems that operate on the same dynamics. Um, so that was one. Um, I uh, you know I have I have this there's this creation myth I have where. This council of gods put this this world in place, 
one of the the that the gods kind of goes um, rogue, um, and actually he just gets too good at what he's doing. His his job is to put in place races that tr will try men right towards their own refinement. But he just he goes too far, so the gods decide. To, to abandon the world, there's in 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 the universe. There's a, a finite amount of energy to to spend on the development of worlds and you know perpetuate creation. And um, one of the helpers there convinces the gods to, um, while even though, even though they're going to abandon the world, provide a protection against the races that still have um, some hope for growth and development. And one of the things I really wanted to play with is. This set of people who have a create creatures that have been sort of sealed away to still exist um, versus those that that we think are the good guys, um, really playing with that and this idea of capital E evil. And in, in, in Trial of Intentions, I take you into this place called the Born, and one of the point of view characters is there. And some of the early readers are like, wow, it's, it's really sort of eye-opening um, and different to see uh, what we thought was just the big bad meanies, you know, being intelligent, rational um, creatures who want the same things we want. So I wanted to, what I was doing is playing with some of that stuff um, um, against some of the, the classical conventions. And now, you know, I'm, I'm upending up those. Um, you know, as an example, that some of my readers will think that I have a character who's the typical orphan farm boy. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. And in Trial of Intentions, um, it, you know, it's why I did so much research on astronomy and mathematics and physics. A bunch of that real science um, and colleges of science uh, spring up. And so, you know, part of it was wanting to, you know, um, play against a lot of those tropes uh, in, in service of a story that let me do things that I love, like talk about music and, um, you know, talk about the fact that um, there's a sameness to, I don't want to get into a whole thing about race, but there's, I'm definitely exploring some of the other ideas of the other and challenging people's perceptions. That's great. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. And, and what's next for you and where can people follow your work online? Um, I'm going out on a book tour. Uh, I leave tomorrow. Um, I'm hitting San Diego for Mysterious Galaxies and Borderlands, San Francisco, and Pals in, in um, Portland. Um, all of this is on my website if folks want to go and check it out. Um, I'm in the middle of book three. I'm actually more than in the middle. With luck, I'll have I'll have it into my editor at the end of the summer. And I'm also writing a concept album to go with the uh, oh, series. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it seems like an obvious thing, but, um, yeah, pretty excited about that piece, too. Very cool. Are you active on Twitter? Where should people look you up there? Oh, yeah. So it's just my name, Peter Aurelian, at Peter Aurelian. My website is just my last name, Aurelian.com. Um, and yeah, I'm on Facebook and all of that stuff. Um, feel free to uh, connect with me there. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good about replying to folks if you send me a, a note. There's contact information through email and stuff on my website. And we're going to hold you to that, uh, to that, that contest. So yeah. keep an eye out for, for emails from me with all our potential winners, because I don't know the answer, so, but I'm sure someone else there were, there does. And just a, a clue, there were other clues in the interview. I almost like blew it in a couple <laughs> of responses. 
Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. It was a great interview, and I, I can't wait to to not only to listen to your music, but see how it all ties into your to your stories, because I think that's such a cool accompaniment to to the written word. I, I love when authors not only have like playlists that that they think you should be listening to while you're reading, but also have music they've created. That seems like something that doesn't happen very often. So I, I love that angle. I think it's really wonderful. Thank you. And, and I really appreciate you guys taking time to have me on. I love your show. Oh, thank you oh, so much. Thank you. And hopefully you guys out there love the show too, because our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you want to support us, you know, if you think we're worth a buck, if you got a couple cents to spare, send it our way, patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books. Uh, we, we put links in our picks section based on most of the books that we talk about in each episode. So if you're like, wait a minute, where do I get Summer of Night? by Dan Simmons. Go to swordandlaser.com slash picks. You buy it through that link. We get a little bit of help from that and everybody wins. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on Goodreads. And if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!